Good afternoon. My name is Alicia Bales. I am live in the studio this afternoon for a special public affairs show, a conversation with Troyal Tognoli, who is the lead organizer of Black Lives Matter in Mendocino County, the Mendocino County chapter of Black Lives Matter. And we're going to be discussing Black History Months and the events that Mendocino County Black Lives Matter has planned for our community. Welcome, Troyal. It's great to see you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm so happy to have you and excited to get an update on what is going on with your work with Black Lives Matter. Can you start with a little bit of background about Mendocino County's chapter of Black Lives Matter when you started and and why and what kinds of priorities you have? Okay, so, um, you know, like so many of us um, during the uh, George Floyd um, killing, um, it triggered me, you know, like so many of us across the county, across the state, across the world, as it turned out. Uh, and I just kind of wanted to have an idea of what it was we were thinking here locally. Like, oh, my God, did you see what I just saw? Um, how do you feel about that? And, you know, those are questions that you can ponder in the privacy of your thoughts, you know, in your home. You're kind of moving through um, the moment you know, thinking, Jesus, what the heck was that that I just saw? I mean, in so many ways, you know, as we have since discovered, it was racism reflecting itself in a way it hadn't for decades, for decades. It was the backdrop of the pandemic and so many other things were going on with us. And here we are faced with this complete disregard for this African-American man. So, you know, we live in a very small community. You know, most of us are accessible. It's part of the beauty of living in a small community. And so I reached out to our public officials, and I should have been broader. I got a lot of flack for people saying, well, you never talked to me. I mean, you know, I was talking to those that I had, I felt I had relations with that were in the field, that were the authority on what criminal minds and the idea of investigation and crime and, you know, things like that, what it looked like for those people. And uh, and I got just too broad of a response. And the majority of responses were, oh, my God, that's horrible and followed up because I wanted to do something. Yes, whatever you need, I'm I'm here. I'm I'm willing to do whatever support you you need. Right, because you put out a survey right after George Floyd was murdered. Absolutely. And and, and who, then did, there, who did you send it right. to? And what did you ask them? Right. Uh huh. What I I sent it to, like I said, a number of public officials, but primarily, you know, our law enforcement team. Dave Eister, uh, I forget who was the chief at the time. He's no longer there. Uh, Justin. Justin Wyatt. Yes. Uh I sent it to Justin. Uh, I sent it to our board of supervisors because they are the leader of all these ships um, that we set afloat. And I just kind of wanted to know what, what they thought. And what troubled me, and I can say this now, and I've said it before, was that some of our, most everyone said, yes, that's horrible. Uh, yes, these are things that we're doing. You know, A can't wait was also coming down the pike. But policing in general was something that was really, really, really big. So I was looking at it more along a structural line, like a foundationary line, like our DA, our courts, you know, what are we doing? What And I say we because I consider myself a person very interested in our judicial systems here. And, and I consider myself to have spent some time, you know, trying to do discoveries on who we are, where we were, who we are now, what we've done over the years. And I was really troubled by one of our lead law enforcement uh, people, Dave Eister, saying that he didn't, he wasn't quite sure what he saw. He wasn't sure if the guy was egregious or not. And I was thinking, dude, you must, and it triggered me because I don't know what it was, but I've always felt that no matter what happened, we have this built-in protection. And I particularly feel that, that way, you know, that 
no matter what happened in any given day or night, if something wrong was to happen, you were going to be protected, period. It didn't matter about whether you were black, white, brown, or green. I mean, I really, truly felt that about us as a community. Here in Mendocino County? In Mendocino County. And you've lived um, here a long time. 45 years, yes. Uh-huh. And so when, when I heard that uh, from uh, um, David, I could say that I was pissed. I was pissed because what are you talking about? You know, what are you what are you in particular talking about? You would be the guy that have to prosecute this guy. I guess he wouldn't have been a Keith Ellison, you know, but I would have expected him to say, whoa, Troyle, that was awful. Right. Some things are just self-evidently wrong. And this was one of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that triggered me in ways that caused me to go almost on an ancestral hunt, but not of my own blackness, but of my law enforcement community. Who are we? You, what, what do you mean uh, you cannot find what you saw egregious? Dude, 99.2% of the population, not counting any of the two-year-olds, would say, what is that guy doing? Somebody stop him. That's awful. Stop him. Stop him. You know, so the fact that you can't just find simple egregiousness, and I'm not saying be biased. I'm not saying don't do your job. I'm saying just make sure that that human part of empathy and compassion is always at the forefront because we all remember when you were struggling trying to come in, you know, and the work that you put in to get to where you are. And the expectation is that you're going to lead with some dignity. And um, so that's my own personal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I stand with that. Um, but it's a very uh, unique, I think, to our community here in Mendocino County, where when the George Floyd uh, murder happened and the protests erupted across the country, one of the things we had protests here that were so, in my opinion, beautiful and inspiring, especially to see, you know, the youth come out so with yeah. just mm-hmm. so much uh noise yeah exactly like so they're so clear they're so clear they're so brave um they're so fed up and um and your response as the lead organizer of black lives matter was to go to these people individually in the local power structure and ask them and i think that's just so very unique to us here is that you know we're, we're a small community we know each other uh even though we are spread out in a lot of different um city little cities but we do we do know each other and we do have we that do. as a form of accountability i think and i think it's really 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 great that we are who we are you know i get questions from people oh my god Troy, how can you live there and you know and i tell people it's amazing i feel a certain amount of connection <laughs> but the other part is that you know this whole thing gave us an open door you know to start to question and dismantle policing as we saw it and other things that have come along with it because we know that it's not just limited to policing. We we know that. Uh, we've always known that. I mean, the history is deep. Um, it's coming up, though. You know, it's causing all kinds of problems, but it needs to come. It needs to come full, full circle. So um, I was happy that the end result of that question around what are we doing? How are we going to get there? You know, what are those ways that we can do it? Um, did help to push along the Public Safety Advisory Board. But as you know, and as I know, you know, the whole idea around trying to uh, revamp uh, policing right now is not in a bottleneck, like some people believe. But there has been um, some real deliberate uh, reconstructing going on. And, and, and it's painful, but it's going to happen. You know, like, for instance, I was uh, reading an article around um you know our missing women here in the county and the you know the whole community so we have a serial killer here it's always something we should look at because mendocino county is completely unique and we've had some of the most oddest groups and things happening here uh, from those who know that it's not just a beautiful sleeping valley you know that things pretty bad are happening here on a lot of levels 
you know, when I was listening to um, a Sheriff Kendall, you know, talking about, um, you know, the missing women and, and, and the today's article, and I gave up the journal, but. Yeah, they keep sort Jessica of reproducing Conduit, our, right? reprinting our interviews with people. It's <laughs> right? really right? interesting. Uh-huh. Yes, and we, we know why, right? <laughs> they know, we know, they know, we know. <laughs> but it's the whole thing. It's like, you know, it's just a decriminalization, you know, drugs and it's, you know, all this stuff. And, and then he hinted just a little bit on, you know, some of the pressure that the department is getting, you know. You know, how they're being quasi removed from situations, you know, and, you know, and I would like to, um, you know, continue to push for the support for the department and law enforcement in general, uh, because, you know, um, someone told me and I don't and I haven't been able to substantiate this, but someone uh, recently told me that there we only have 28 deputies countywide, 28 on our highways and um you know, county areas, you know, outside of our highway patrol. But we do have a lot of support from highway patrol because that was one of the members that I met when I was going through the public safety advisory board. I spoke to members of uh, the highway patrol. I spoke, like I said, to UPD and most of our policing departments for Bragg. And everyone is on board. Everybody was on board that, yeah, we definitely need this. And yes, we need to um, get this started. And yes, we we are supportive of it. And some of them came out and even stated some of the steps that they had already taken, like the aid can't wait and the, the no choke holes. I mean, the uh, barring choke holes, um, the no knock warrants and things like that. And we've had another instance of something like that across the country. Right. And the other part about us in this lovely rural community that we live in is that we are in the northern regions of California as well. I think with all those things combined, we are unique in our way of life and our way of communicating with each other. So it seems to me like when there is a conflict that if we, if we can do nothing else, we can discuss it you know, broadly and go, hey, you know, what's going on? So I would like to see the Public Safety Advisory Board um, as a result of the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, really get off the ground. And and right now we have five districts. I understand that there are supervisors that have made their appointments. And I understand that uh, Ted William will be appointing himself. He has appointed himself. You can do that. I find absolutely, absolutely <laughs> ironic, you know, like, no. <laughs> But, you know, the Board of Supervisors is a very unique body in and of themselves, you know, and as you look at them, their uh, type of structure across the state um, is very questionable. I'm sorry, my I had a little blurb there. No worries. Uh, in what in what way? Well, you know, either they are powerless. Right. And they follow the lead like the situation we had with uh our leadership that's leaving now um or they're uninformed you know they want to be a part of something that is so big it is so 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 big and we are coming from regions such as ukiah you know of mendocino county i say people say oh it's just a one bucket town you know one horse buggy town something to that effect and i would think no no we're not you know we are we have an organic growth here it may take us a little longer to get where we're going but we are going to get there you know it's like the persistence and resiliency of who we are will help us along the way and i think that as we start to use our voices more which i'm finding to be a huge huge barrier here and it's not so much because we're all spread out across the county and we don't have fiber optics or any of those things. It's because we are all so comfortable in all this space that surrounds us that it's almost as if we feel like we're untouchable until we're like slightly touched. There's a Interesting. Little right. Oh, so people feel goodness. like those issues don't affect us up here. Right. In, in some way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A little bit of Mendocino exceptionalism. Yeah, I can see that. I can definitely see that. Yeah, kind of like we, we live in this beautiful haze, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, God, look at all the color of the trees. Yes, aren't they lovely? They are. Right? 
But if we're not watching, you know, what's happening to them, <laughs> then um, who's to say that they will remain? So I, you know, again, uh, I think Black Lives Matter in Mendocino County is really, 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 really important. Because Black Lives Matter allows us to really kind of scrutinize and, 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 and take apart some of these things that, you know, we have yet to do. I mean, we have, um, you know, this whole thing around um, George Floyd's murder, you know, and the subsequent prosecution, really good prosecution of Chauvin, right? But he's an old guy, you know? I mean, sometimes you wish they used some of their old laws. Just, you know, do something else to the guy, you know? I don't want to see it, and I don't want to be a part of it. But I know there are plenty of historical photographs of people sitting around watching those sorts of things, right? Now, the question is, is that release, well, actually it wasn't the first uh, but it helped to release the face of the chronic systemic racism and hatred that we have, right? And again, you know, in the rawest of ways. So it's something that people don't want to talk about, especially those people who don't even know why they don't want to talk about it. And that's what bothered me. Sorry. It's okay. I took care of it. Talk about it, you know? Why? Why are you saying it? Well, I don't know. I don't know. And from what I gathered at that very moment, it said there in a there's an, an alignment and an allegiance to this sort of behavior, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And is not is strictly confined to law enforcement. It is a birthright in some ways. It's an inherited way of thinking around certain groups of people and either you're aware of it or you may have biases towards it but you need to determine if you're complicit especially in a position of such high authority Mm -hmm. well and And, since uh, the since the year two years now almost two years since george floyd's murder there's been Um, an incredible amount yeah is it may 24th I think it was the 28th, but let me check my notes. Um, there's yeah, it been was the 24th. Mm-hmm. an incredible amount of activism in communities like ours and smaller and larger across the country. And it feels like uh, they're, they're making some progress, but running into this intransigence, this, this, what you're saying, this like, uh, unmovable sense of entitlement or the, 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 um, system, uh, defending itself from any kind of criticism or change. Are you finding that or what are you finding with your organizing with Black Lives Matter here in Mendocino? Well, I'm finding what many, many, many black scholars have found out. As a matter of fact, I find myself reading and discovering things I absolutely never, ever, ever knew. And I'm thinking, what? And then I'm thinking, what? No wonder people think that what they saw wasn't egregious. <laughs> you know, this is such of a standard norm. I mean, not a standard norm. You know, I take that back. But as a society, there are pockets of our society who still believe that they are entitled to certain things and that there are people that are in the way that should not be in, 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 in the mix. And it's like, well, that's not the way it is, because the 14th Amendment guaranteed us all the same right now what has happened is that you know we have you know situations like black lives matter you know what we're talking about is really our constitution right and going way back during those days when we had you know policing is built off those same old systems and standards that organization has not changed very much if you start to dig deeper into it. So you're you're talking about a, a situation where now you're going to, well, people believe, now we're... But you don't get to allow people certain privileges. People are born with the same privileges as everyone else. Right. But we have those Southern states, you know, uh, who had lived and thrived off of our structure. And it was very hard for them 
then and it is now to go back and to say wait a minute was it was that moral and so no we can't they can't many people can't you know understand it or verbalize it in a way that is acceptable but the legacy of american slavery is the country's founder so many of my scholars are saying right that's black america all right you take it from the indigenous people you have what 12.2 million slaves that you bring over here you know with the bible in one hand and chains and whips in the other hand and and you create what you have what you try to call a democracy right but there's no way it can be that right there's absolutely no way that it can really be a democracy unless we make it that way and there's too many people that are set in some of the old ways that believe that if they fight and if they you know make a lot of noise then they can go back to those old days and the truth of the matter is is that that can never be uh we've you know african americans and other indigenous people i'm telling you there's not any one singular group but you know like i say slavery is something that um you know you just cannot ever take back i mean it's the foundation of, of who you are and what you've done it's sort of like if you you know you did something really horrible or say simple you're sort of you're at um some great event and you you know you say well it's really great to acknowledge you and say i really love um you know the portrait you have over there oh yeah i have my slaves do that that it just doesn't make any sense you know there's a certain ring to it that is troubling and and i think that it's really hard uh for us all of us too by the way you know it's not this is not um a center on white people per se more so at, than it is on you know our american culture and system and our uh, systemic systems of racism and how that has manifested into what it is today and how hard how hard it is to bust it up yeah you know but we're busting it up right because people are so upset and you think about it you know if you had a horrible story to tell most people would be relieved just to get it off your shoulders thank god that's over oh god i learned so much from that it was the most horrible time in my life you know most people say you know you really do repent and you seek forgiveness and you you want to do it all you want to cleanse it all down you know yeah. like they say cast down your buckets <laughs> right people don't want to do that you know because like so many of the memes that we see you know we're talking about grandparents you know, we're talking about 1965. Right, it's recent history. Five, right, I was five years old. Mm -hmm. And now we're coming, and now, and people are not playing around. We're not playing with kid gloves anymore because of what we saw. You know, that, that resurgence, you know, that release of racism, the way we saw it with George Floyd, was more than any of us could bear. Mm -hmm. I think that alone unleashed something, and even the most docile, of people so we have critical race theory right i mean that is that no one's making anything up nothing you know the 1619 project the 14th amendment the constitution the supreme court the destruction of the reconstruction and voting you know, rights. all these things yep. and you know, people, oh, we can't, we absolutely cannot talk about that. You know, we just can't. It's just too much. Why should we go so far back? Right. 
Well, let me reintroduce you. This is Alicia Bales. I'm live in the Ukiah studio, and my guest this afternoon is Troil Tognoli. She's the lead organizer with the Mendocino chapter of Black Lives Matter. And we're having a conversation about your work with Black Lives Matter and also Black History Month, which is February. Uh, and and you were, you're bringing up a lot of, of history, and it, it sort of makes it quite obvious, connecting these dots, why Black History Month is as important as it is. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about sort of why Black History Month and what Black Lives Matter Mendocino is doing to observe it? Well, you know, Elsa, like I said, this is, um, this is all really kind of big stuff, right? And, 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 you know, the history is so deep. You know, our babies are so young. You know, they saw the first black president to try to tell them something about, oh, you know, and, and all these horrible things happen. They want to know. Don't get us wrong. They want to know. But they're also, because of those struggles, they're able to access and do things that generations behind us were never able to do. Simple things like go to school, get vaccinated, you know, things. They And then the, the time that we live in with our technology. I mean, our kids are moving bullet fast. I mean, and I am so happy for them because they've done it despite the struggles and the barriers that were placed in front of them. You know, they they did it despite, you know, the struggles of the family of which they were coming through, you know, the uh, so many different barriers for you know our kids, and they're still doing it. So it's important that they know the stories. So that's part of the reason why the Black History um, Month uh, things happen here locally is that so young uh, children can know that they are important. You know, it's something that you know I wanted to do last year, and this is the first. Oh, I'm retired now, so I have a lot of. I have a lot of time to do some really good work, and, and that's what I intend to do, you know, to really do a body of work that's really great and um, and expands our place around complicity and, and discomforts. So this project this year is a very simple project. It is something that I actually did with my granddaughter's classroom. My granddaughter uh, lived her life up in Reading, and uh, there were so few little people like her, and uh, and I would bring her here, and there's so few here, but I was here, right? Grandmas make a big difference. And um, so I did the project for her, and it was basically just trying to name up, you know, some of the African-American greats, and not use all the casual, usual ones, you know, like Harriet Tubman or Martin Luther, not to ever take away any of the things that they did, especially Harriet, because let me tell you, we women, nothing can stop us. We're, we're aligned with the wind, right? So um, it was really for her, for my granddaughter, you know, as things like that was done for me when I was growing up, you know, I was sat with and talked with and my hair was braided and, and my skin was rubbed and, and I was giving wonderful stories in baths and, and, you know, I, lots of time in the kitchen, you know, I learned to all about farming chicken and hogs and, and all those things, you know, from my family. So when I arrived here, I was pretty much prepared um, for life and society in general. And the color swatch didn't really make a difference mm. because for some reason I just wasn't into it. You know, I was more curious as to where the other people like me here were. <laughs> Did you ever uh, f have it find an answer for that curiosity? Well, you know, I did. I, um, you know, as we dig deeper into ourselves, you really do gain a greater understanding of those that we are around, right? And so I was first forced to do that because I was getting it from all sides. So let me tell you, I was getting it from my family. I was getting it from, you know, my African-American friends. Just wondering why you were here? Yeah, wondering why, not only why I was here, why did I choose to stay here? Um, but the good part of that, and which also provided me with a great deal of salvation as I fought my way through making my own decisions, um, they always wanted to come here for a vacation, right? <laughs> 
now you know. I don't <laughs> live in metropolitan areas, <laughs> right. you know, where crime is rampant and things are really, really out of control. Not everywhere, but in a lot of places. So that's part of the reason uh, that I stayed. Um, but the other part is that, you know, I love my community. Like I said, I raised a son here. And uh, and I wanted my son to be safe. So early on, there were some battles that I, um, you know, had to throw down my own sports to make sure that people understood that, you know, he should be able to move freely. And at the time, I had no idea, seriously, and I mean this from my heart, about racial struggles. <laughs> I seriously thought we were just all together, you know, but right. those things aren't always true. Just because it like should said, be, right? Right. But that, you know, like I said, it creates growth. It mm-hmm. creates a lot of growth. And uh, it's something that we should, you know, we, we, we take it in, we learn, um, you know, we allow for those questions. Well, was so being we, a mom in this community of a son who is black, uh, was, did you change? Did you have to, did you learn things that you weren't expecting to or, or how, like, I'm thinking my son just turned 18. <laughs> so, uh, what, how what, might it have been different for me raising a white son in this community than it was for you raising an African-American son? Well, you know, I, I think some of that is subjective uh, because, um, you know, um, I don't really always see it as black and white. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's socioeconomic and sometimes it's just ignorance. And in, I think in my case, it was just pure ignorance. Because when I um, when I start to inquire about it, I was told verbatim, Troy, we did not know he was your son. And it pissed me off so yeah. bad. Wow. Because I was thinking, what the heck does that have to do with it? Right? Wow. Like, can we do our work with some honor and integrity and not, um, you know, subject our kids to, you know, these sorts of things? And and also uh, with my son, my son went through all the schools here. He went through the preschool at um, Methodist Church. <clears throat> I mean, he went through Yokeo. He went through the high school, scholar, athlete, track, football, works. Uh, as he became more of a man, you know, his 17, 18 years, yeah, things started to get a little well, not a little, things started to get dicey. Mm. And it was at that time that I decided um, that I needed to take some steps to really make it very clear within our community and within our policing that they were not to put their hands on my son. They were not to approach my son without talking to me, Uh, just like any other parental rights. I'm not speaking of anything outside of what every other parent is entitled to. You know, no one should approach your children without them talking to you. You know, and and because uh, it was law enforcement and the whole force has changed, you know, I successfully sued them. It was very nice. It made me stay even longer. And and I wouldn't have done that. And I I honestly mean this from the bottom of my heart. I would not have sought litigation had I not known the extent of the lies that they had told me. So once I found out that. I had just been totally bullwinkled. <laughs> I was pissed. Mm-hmm. And so I um, I told them. And like I said, they told me, well, Troy, we didn't know. And um, it was just too much to bear. Mm-hmm. You know, my son went to the high school. I was mad at the high school, too, because I felt they should have contacted me right away. As soon as any person on the planet walked, and I'm very overprotective of of him as you should be. <laughs> on, on, on the planet walk towards him contact me i'm your biggest defense okay i'm going to take the biggest blow if there has to be one i'm going to be that person you know for my son and um Ukiah high was really great but you know i realized in retrospect they did everything i wanted in order to relieve them of any liability which i did by the way but the information was powerful uh, not only with the high school, but also within the, the police department, which is why I say you, you, UPD is not a whole group, nor is our law enforcing agencies. They're not a whole group of one runaway wild cowboys who don't care about anybody but themselves. That is the furthest thing from the truth. 
And so, and we see a little bit more of that now, you know, with some of the things that are coming out, you know, on social media, there's a lot on social media, but I mean, the things that we're, we have substantiated as well, you know, like the various lawsuits, pending lawsuits. I mean, our current chief is looking at, you know, all sorts of horrible allegations, right? And under this new policing situation that we have, he would not be able to maintain that position, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if things work as we are hoping they will over time, you know, that... Um, With the Public if, Safety Advisory Board? Public Safety Advisory Board and just policing in general. Uh-huh. I mean, legislation that will help support little communities, little secular communities mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. ours, make better decisions around... How do we get the retraining? How do we get the right personnel? How do we get the supports? You know, how do we move ourselves forward? It's not just the courts that want to see and have these conversations. I mean, imagine a day in their life, right? Imagine how many things they utter under their breath when things (laughs) come before them. You know, I mean, you have to say, oh my God, I know what took me away from my early years, with victim witness is uh, reading some of those reports, you know, and knowing some background history on them. Here in, in the county? Here in Mendocino County, mm-hmm. yeah. And, you know, like the Rosie Grover murder trial. I cannot to this day understand why we could not have transported that young person, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, things like that. So we've made a lot of progress. I mean, a lot of progress. And there have been many, many people that have Throwing, throwing down the gauntlet, you know, to um, help push our safety. Right. Yeah. And yet what you're talking about with, you know, it's not a monolith. It's made up of individuals. But why does the system, why is it so hard to shake? How, you know, why does it resist change? Uh, even when there are people within it who really can see what the problems are, who know that it's wrong and who want it to change. Um, and I guess that's where Black Lives Matter and the understanding of, of black history really comes in and gives us those answers. Yeah, it's, it's, it's again, it's all around, you know, the equity, you know, like you said, it goes. I've been doing a lot of research lately um, because I'm actually free, 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 retired, free. <laughs> right? <laughs> and and I'm thinking, um, you know, so if you look at um, policing, you know, and you take it way back to um, slavery and all those things, and you start looking at it as this the biggest global crime in the history of mankind. Right? And it was implemented and it was carried out by a group of people that were determined to keep it that way. Right, That group still exists. That's why that we must continue to do this work. And that's why it's no longer a, a, a black issue either. It is an incredibly cultural issue. The culture of America. Right. Who it's American history, really? right? Yeah. It's our struggle. It's not... Uh, we cannot, you know, continue to just, you know, pass it on. Oh, you know, those people, they're complaining again about something that happened, you know, 400 years ago. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, even with, there's so many great studies going on right now, too. There's the, uh, this month's National Geographic, uh, their cover story is called Hidden No More, Right. Hidden No More is about the transatlantic slave trade, right? So you put things like George Floyd, you've released a monster, all right? You put situations like George Floyd, you start looking at systemic racism. You try to figure out how you're going to dismantle it. You go to critical race theory. You start talking about equity, you start talking about your Supreme Court and your Constitution, and boom, you're in the very foundation of who you believe you are, right? So, you know, to dismantle that is not gonna it's not gonna be something that's gonna happen overnight, but it is happening because it's just the way the world is right now. You know, the resurgence of all this stuff. Let's get to the bottom of it, we say. Let's just get to the bottom of it. Well. Many publications, I mean, Prime Video has a fantastic, fantastic 
um, article on black love and black history is a lot of the um, some of our leading scholars, but they're not the only ones. There are many more across the planet that are coming up with incredible information, such as Hidden No More. Mm-hmm. And that's the National Geographic. And what it talks about is the, uh, the transatlantic slave voyages. You know, of the thousand recorded uh, shipwrecks, only 10 have ever been even thought of anymore. So there's a huge push to for young African-American divers that have quit their um, big paying six, seven figure jobs to join into this group to start to recover some of these artifacts. Wow. Now, my niece, Dosha, just received her master's in uh, archaeology. She's at Sonoma State, and she's really a great, great um, young lady, born and raised out here, moved over to Lake County, um, went down to Sonoma State. But for me, as the auntie, I say, go look for Guerrero, sweetheart, you know? And if you and that's one one of the ships, uh, there were three of them: the Henrietta and the Salsa del Africa. You know they're exploring all those things right now. So there's a huge interest and in subject in renewing the past. So whether or not people want to keep it hidden, whether or not people want to blow it out, whether or not people want to shut it up or, or whatever, make it illegal to talk about. <laughs> right, right. Knowing the parts of history that's attached to truth is what everybody's going to benefit from. So I, for one, like I said, um, I'm quite excited for these times. I hope I live to another 50 full years, you know, so I can live to witness, you know, um, more progress. The level of scholarship, the uh, quality of the storytelling, the histories that are coming up, the the level of analysis about Mm -hmm. what slavery was, what it did, how it worked, and who was responsible for it, Um, the effect on generational trauma and the descendants and our whole country. I know the the books, the the, um, documentaries, the stories, even like TV and like, you know, the effect of this kind of peeling back the layers and taking off the veil. It's so it's, it is. It's like a cultural renewal. It's, uh, but it's it not is. a renewal. It's just like a renaissance. I think it's it, an it's amazing, an exciting time. It, it, it's an energy. I mean, yeah. Like you said, it was policing, it was Derek Chauvin, and it was George Floyd. It's kind of like the culmination of a great, great movie, right? This was a horrible view that we witnessed. It can't do anything but propel you forward to say, hey, listen, no matter what happened, that should never happen. Right, the unignorable truth right. that you have Absolutely. to deal with. Well, Troil, I realize that you um, you need to get going. I need to let you go. Um, but before you go, can you talk about the art contest for youth that, that you're sponsoring for Black History Month? Yes, and thank you for that. Um, well, this was sort of my way of providing some respite for us. You know, look, young people, they don't really understand the rich history and heritage. I wasn't really able to get this off the ground the way I really wanted to, you know, really, I, even though I had a lot of support with the schools and stuff, you know, I'm trying to do it the right way. So what I did this time around was just make it a community-based sort of event, you know, with the school and our local educators, of course. Um, And the goal is to, like, give them some idea of the struggle that has always gone on and to see whether little minds want to fall in, to see what they may want to talk about. You know, they may have some ideas. They may have situations at their school that they're thinking there is no recourse. They they could, they have thoughts. So they need us. Mm-hmm. They need yes. us, the griots, to be able to come to them and say, hey, listen, what you're imagining, what, what you're thinking is not imagined, you know, or whatever, some sort of way to reinforce them. And this is the way to create inclusion uh, for for them. So I am just trying to do what is coming culturally and historically, you know, for us and trying to share and spread a little knowledge. Now, the, the, art, um, the art contest, there's like three online. I mean, well, there's an art contest where they draw their favorite topic or whatever it could be and submit it for entry. Everyone will win. 
you know, any of the youth people that that enter. And also, um, there's some books for the schools for a classroom. Uh, there are poems. There's a poem. It's called. Um, um, there's one story, Theo, and then there's a poem on there. Um, uh, and you have the nerve to call me colored. It's a very funny poem. I gave it to my granddaughter. <laughs> and then there's um, mix and match answers of, of who great American um, leaders are and continue to be. And so they can add on to that. They can uh, create their own. They could do whatever they want. And this is the first year. It's been really hard because we've had a lot of uh, things going on here in our community a little bit and, uh, yep. and we're just so spread out like i said so uh -huh. and i'm hoping that with my newfound freedom that i could uh really put in some solid energy into some of our projects to make them super super fabulous so that's my goal and i'm hoping that this year's event turns out really well and and this is just the beginning so this is not the um the beginning of the end this is something that um I would really like to kind of immerse myself in for a little while as I too continue to discover all the things that I don't know at 62. Yeah, wherever I am. <laughs> um, where do people submit their entries for the art contest and what's the deadline? The deadline is February for the uh, entry is February 23rd. Okay. And uh, you can submit your entry at www.mendoblm.com. Okay. And uh, if you have anything you want to share or say or any concerns that you may have, you can do that, too, because we're looking to do a lot of crossover. So things that come through um, us, you know, BLM or our partnering, you know, uh, affiliates, Surge or North Coast or BIPOC or all those things will be filtered down into one common goal. And that is how do we get uh, some stability in our community? Mm -hmm. So if they have something about almost anything, they could send send us a comment. Well, that's cool to know that there are um, there are a variety of, of organizers working in the county you just uh, named a, a few of the groups that are working on racial justice here it's a small place but we got a lot yes. of activism going on yeah there's a lot going on and right now the primary focus is trying to save jackson forest mm -hmm. and uh, even though there's a lot of legislation that's coming down for that which is really great uh you know trying to make sure that that legislation has ink on it uh -huh. It's something that's of utmost importance right now. So in solidarity with, with all the, all the, the other struggles. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let me ask you one more thing, and then I will definitely. I know you have to go. Um, you also have. Uh, you are also have made some art installations around Ukiah for Black History yes. Month. Do you want to uh -huh. let people know where they can check those out? Well, right now um, the city has been really great. The city will. You know, we started the uh, Black History Month proclamation. I want to expand that a whole lot. And uh, one of the things that I'm hoping to do is for the city to look at purchasing display cabinets. Because the art that I want to share, I mean, they took one look at it and went, oh, my God, these are collectibles. These are collectors. Yeah, well, yes, they are, right? Um, and even though they had a really nice space in their foyer, there's no uh, security. And ah. so it was like, no, we can look at this next year. But uh, And there are a, there is one place in town, the Mech. Uh, which is on uh, Stanley. Yep, it's at 106 West Stanley Street. Uh, Stanley Street, uh -huh, right, Stanley Estate. Uh, they have pieces there, and I will be trading those pieces out over the course of the next 23 days. So if you've seen some of the pieces that you really love, I do encourage you to go take a look at them. Uh, then that's great. But there's, you, if you want to see more over the coming days, then make frequent visits. Oh, cool. Okay, so so they have those big glass windows uh, right yes. across from the courthouse, right near the corner of Stanley and State. You mm -hmm. can go and check out Black history month art exhibition yes, uh -huh. yes. and black cool. lives matter and this is for black history month and there like i said there will be more pieces coming in rotating in and out so um and they're most of them are one of a kind but they're very interesting and and um they're quite beautiful and as we like i said get this thing underway i'll bring more and more and i'll recruit more and more participants and 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 we're hoping to have a full-blown uh, Black History Month celebration uh, next year that involves interactive uh, 
face to face. Let's hope. Let's um, hope. Fingers crossed. Us. Absolutely. Yeah, because this is our history. Okay, this is all of our. This is the legacy of American history. Okay, and unfortunately, it has uh, you know these things that we need to try to fix along the way. And we all have an important role in that reckoning and in what kind of American history we are going to be creating in the, yeah, the that's future. Right, because right now there's a very troubling reality, but uh, we have a brutal, beautiful, beautiful prism in front of us. And, uh, you know, things like, uh, you know, whether it be the critical race theory or whatever, the story will surface and we, the story will be told. And, um, and, um, you know, we just have to keep moving towards that. And, you know, like, not like that, that guy who always want to know what it's like to have good friends. Well, I feel like if we don't do it, if we don't tell ourselves the truth about our history, we don't know who we are now. We just won't ever recognize ourselves. It's a, we have a distorted um, sense of, of who we are and how the world works. If we're not willing to look honestly at the history and what our society is capable of doing to other human beings, uh, you know, to each other and to, you know, and also the contribution of black people to this country. I mean, talk about Americans, you know, black people built this country um, and, and has, this, we are the founders of, of this country and have held and its feet to the fire to be what it says it is of America the way it is now, you know, since Columbus. Now, our native and sisters, you know, brothers and sisters, you know, we stand side by side with them, of course, you know, and it's amazing that this relationship exists and has existed for so many years, you know, and and one could claim that towards our mutual struggle, but even then, you know, the music and the food and in and the the community itself speaks for itself. So, I am uh, I'm looking forward to all these things that that we're we're doing and we're trying to do here locally. Well, Troy, like we live in a beautiful. Yes, beautiful. and thank you so much for taking the time to to talk with us about it and to share your amazing work with our with the larger community here on KZYX. Yay! Hey, well, <laughs> thank you so much, and I appreciate you having me, and I look forward to our, our long continued relationship. Yay! Anytime, come back anytime. It's great to talk with you. Um, that was Troyal Tognoli. She is the lead organizer of Black Lives Matter Mendocino chapter. Thanks, Troyal. Bye bye. Bye bye. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willetsons Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.